This podcast is presented by the Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse about education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast and the blog. And please remember to leave a review on iTunes so that we can grow this community of educators. Welcome to episode 10 of the Ed Narrative. My name is Darren Ralston. I am the producer of the podcast. And this time around, we will be talking with Dr. Pam Moran, who is the superintendent of schools for Albemarle County here in Virginia, and Dr. Matt Haas, who is the deputy. Now, in July, Pam will be stepping down, and Matt will be taking over as superintendent. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to be able to sit down and talk about the work they've done together, as well as the work that lies ahead for us in the district. Um, which includes me, of course, because I do work in Albemarle County. Now, on the day we recorded this, there was a pretty significant windstorm. So um, you'll hear Pam uh, referring to that in the, uh, in the session. The, the kids were actually out for the day because we had uh, several schools without power, which, of course, uh, which is a problem. So, um, so keep that in mind as you listen. And then also... Um, couple things that uh, come up in the conversation like high school 2022 if you're not a uh, uh, person who works for the county you might be wondering what it is Uh, I think I'll I'll go ahead and post a supplement to this podcast so that uh, if you are curious you can take a look at uh, some of the links and things like that that would uh, help clarify that for you so uh, I hope that you enjoy this discussion Uh, I had a good time talking with them and really I I honestly uh, got a lot more time in the in the session than I had expected. Um, I had originally blocked out about a half an hour for this conversation and um, ended up getting twice that. So anyways, here we are. This is uh, Dr. Pam Moran and uh, Dr. Matt Haas. Let's get going. Okay. Okay. How are right, man? Look at this. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It's good to see you. Thanks for... Uh, Yeah, now so I can imagine. How I mean, many of these have you done? This is, I think this is the tenth. Who have you been uh, interviewing? I'll just turn here. I've got everything hooked up to it. But yeah. So I brought Sarah Robinson in. And, um, I know you did. Uh, um, you did uh, and then Zaretta. Zaretta. Yeah, that was, that was really fun to get her. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Good to see you. That's cool that you were able to interview Zaretta. Yeah, well, it was, yeah. it, it was funny. I was just like, yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm gonna tweet her and just see, and she's like, "Yes, let's do it." <laughs> so, that's one yeah, it was cool. great and it was she's fun. Cool. It was it was really it was really a good experience to sit down with her, and she is sharp as a tack. Yeah, she is. Like, that was a, that was well done. I listened to that one. Thank you. you. Sent me that link. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I don't. I didn't even hardly have to edit anything on that one. You know, at one point in time, I was considered to be probably one of the most um, tech savvy, social media savvy superintendents mm-hmm. in the nation. Today, there are people doing stuff that just they have stripped blown, you, yeah. They have blown so far past yeah. me. It's well, just Well, I remember incredible. coming in, you know, for the new teacher thing, and I'm like, what is she doing? She's tweeting and all this stuff? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I've but, never seen that, you know, yeah. so. But but now, yeah. you know. Um, now it's normal. There are superintendents like Randy Zeigenfuss uh, a couple weeks ago runs a podcast um, that's called um, Shift Your Paradigm okay. as Okay, I haven't seen that one. And yeah. so he. Um, yeah. He uh, was interviewing that. me about, you know, cool. what, what kinds of changes we've made here. But, um, you know, Matt's far more tech savvy than yeah. I am in a lot of ways. And, right and a better writer, you know, amazing blogger, you know. Are you running a blog? He does. He has a blog. I, didn't, I, I don't really do much with it. Okay. He I, writes. I didn't teen, see, see I it come up right away. a couple teenagers in my house that I'm trying to raise. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. But uh-huh. the posts, when he writes them, are Fabulous. Great. I'll, have to, yeah. I'll have to look him yeah. up because I didn't. He's a, I mean, he was an English teacher, by gosh. Yeah, you know, well, what do you expect? Yeah, me you too. <laughs> yeah. So. You remember Ray Karen said I was the first principal in Virginia to do a podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah? In 2004, we did. We podcasted our uh, State hmm. of the Division report. Bingo. That's right. Is that still available somewhere or is that kind of uh, off know. in the ether? <laughs> it could be off yeah. in the ether. It's, the, it's yeah. there somewhere. Yeah. It is out huh. there somewhere. Okay. So, <laughs> cool. But um, but I, I do think that, um, you know, that, that you're going to see this next generation of superintendents. 
mm-hmm. are going to be so much more communication savvy. Yeah. Well, and that's you know? something I've been running into, like with the uh, with the site. I've like the last episode I did on trauma informed. I had all these folks from Scotland mm-hmm. that as soon as they were waiting for it to be released because I had said that I was working mm-hmm. on it on Twitter wow. and they were like, hey, we're looking forward to yeah. it. And then as soon as it was released, mm-hmm. I noticed I had all these hits over in Edinburgh and yeah. in Glasgow. The PLN, you so. know, the, 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 the capability for, for professional learning to occur anywhere, anytime, like I a lot of our, of our learning space work has been informed by um, the University of Melbourne, probably the premier project in the world studying the impact of innovative learning space design or innovative learning environment on, um, on learning. Is that also Hattie over there? At that yeah, one? and John okay. Hattie is embedded with them yeah. on some of this. So okay. it's pretty interesting that, you know, you can find things that you go, where is it happening? And it's right. not necessarily. And then it's yeah. not hard to pick yeah, it up. So, so let's yeah. roll. Yeah, so. well, I mean, I, I have I I'm had the go. mics going when we came in just because uh-huh. I didn't know how much time you yeah. had. When, when do we need to call? Matt, what's your schedule? Because uh, I, I know that I've about heard a couple different things. We got a half yeah. an hour from now. Yeah, see, I was uh, okay, planning so to be, 11. Okay. be somewhere, yeah, but it's now. About 11. Okay, first thing that I wanted to really kind of get into, you know, like I said, we're, we're just kind of looking at this as a conversation uh, and we're in a transitional uh, phase here in the district is, you know, just you guys have worked together for a while, right? So how would you characterize your relationship? Like what, you know, if you were able to describe <laughs> it, right? I love Pam. And I love Matt. I don't know where else you're going to go, uh, where, at least for me anyway. Um, I've, I've uh, t- been very fortunate over the years. Pam's always been very good to me mm-hmm. uh, from day one. Uh, I started here in 2004, and I recognized Pam very quickly as someone. At that time, she was assistant superintendent mm-hmm. who really cared about me. And I just I say me, but I know it's this way for, for everybody. Right. But um, who cared about me as a person, wanted to help me be a good leader at the school, was very direct with me mm-hmm. when um, I needed uh, <laughs> advice. You know, there were times when I would, um, you know, when you're in leadership positions, it's difficult to sometimes admit that things aren't going well or right. you don't know what to do. But after a very short period of time, I realized that Pam was someone that I could speak honestly to about mm-hmm. uh, something maybe that wasn't going well at the school. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, when I when I first came to Mall High School, the school had not made AYP the year before for uh, uh, special ed students and for African American students right. in math. Although you know this is a, an acclaimed high school, and um, we made it by the skin of our teeth the following spring, and then going into the next year, uh, you know the the struggles don't go, just don't go away. It's not like you, you make adequate yearly progress for No Child Left Behind mm-hmm. and then the next year it just gets easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going into the late fall, uh, we were looking at a lot of our data, we were looking at results from the year before, and it was after our principal's meeting over at uh, County Office Building South, and I just asked Pam if she had a few minutes, and I was really kind of upset because I was it was just dawning on me that we were going right back into that cycle of right. how you could see it coming. Yeah, yeah. how we're going to do this. And her, you know, her advice to me is advice that I still I give to principals now, which is, you know, first of all, you have to actually know where you stand. You have mm-hmm. to know what where you stand like in terms of student data mm-hmm. and the good and bad and the ugly of it. Mm-hmm. That you, by having blinders on and not really seeing something in front of you and then using that as an excuse later well I didn't you know I didn't know it or but her first advice was you every principal should know everything about what's going on in their school essentially Mm -hmm. in very clear terms Mm -hmm. so first of all know what your data is know um, what's happening at your school and the second thing is when you have that information you have to decide what you're going to do about it right Um, but first you have to know and Mm -hmm. So that's an example of where maybe a principal that I might have worked for in the past mm-hmm. or had situations as a teacher where it wasn't very comfortable going to someone and saying, well, I, things aren't going well. Yeah, this isn't going to look good. Here yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. But and you, know, I never had, you never have to worry with Pam that you might have an argument or mm-hmm. might have a different point of view. 
a lot of people I think go you know can't help it they're just going to file that away and mm -hmm. but we pay them the next day is just another day yeah. it's like and we did yeah. that let's move on yeah, and, you know, yeah. and you know Darren the, the yeah. thing that I think about is that you know uh, and there's a couple things that I want to get to but mm -hmm. um, Matt and I both really understood very quickly there's a, a matrix that um, Doug Reeves has in which he talks about schools tend to fall into one of four categories mm -hmm. one is that schools do well and they have no clue why and they're called lucky schools okay sort of that blind <coughs> I think I have some cough drops if you want some. <coughs> John, uh, every now and then Matt, because Matt carries around an inhaler, yeah. and he'll just throw his inhaler at me. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you too. Yeah. No, but um, but the thing about it that's kind of funny is that um, that uh, it's when you when you share an inhaler, you know you're close. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Pam and I shared a bowl of soup one time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've drunk his water by accident. Well, well there you go. But um, but anyway, but but that whole dog brief thing about that. Some schools are lucky, and they mm -hmm. do well in spite of they, – they can't even tell you why. Right. Yeah. Some schools, you know, you, you kind of have to label them as losing schools, and they're not doing well, and they're really not sure why they're even not doing well, mm -hmm. you know. And so they're just kind of missing the mark, and um, uh, nobody can really tell you. You know, they'll say, we're doing all these things, but obviously those things aren't working, and they can't tell you why it's not working or what would mm -hmm. work. Right. And then there's schools that, that are what you call learning schools, where they really are focusing on how are we navigating towards whatever it is that's the end in mind. You know, and back in the, the early 2000s, the end in mind was about everybody being accredited, closing achievement right. gaps, and passing SOL tests. Mm -hmm. Today, we have a much more complex end in mind because whether it's the profile of graduate mm -hmm. expectations and competencies, yeah, well, it's or life, evolving too, right? Lifelong learning not competencies. Even that's right. You know that that SOLs are not the end goal, mm -hmm. but you still want the same thing that you always wanted, and that is you want kids who are all working to the highest potential that's possible, and not putting ceilings on that. Mm -hmm. And so, what you want are kids who you are seeing achievement gaps close, but closing an achievement gap for kids as critical thinkers is a very different set of curriculum assessment and pedagogy decisions than passing an SOL test. Well, yeah. So a learning school is constantly focusing on that end in mind. They know their data sets and they know they're looking at the research, they're looking at evidence-based practices that are gonna move them towards that. And then of course there's schools that are leading schools and those leading schools are ones in which You've got that high collective efficacy. They are absolutely, they've got demonstrated results on the end in mind, the, right. the main thing. And, you know, everybody is all in. And what I would describe Matt as being is an all in kind of leader. Mm -hmm. And he understands that, Doug. In fact, you know, he's, you know, reminded me of that on periodically of we need to go back to the Dubries, mm -hmm. you know, and pull mm -hmm. that back out again with principles. But so does that kind of go both ways? You guys are kind of keeping each other. On, so. on target always, there is always yeah. Matt Matt has really you know lit up my thinking about assessment mm -hmm. you know he's a student of Matt's a learner mm -hmm. he's what I would call a learner-centered leader um, but the thing for me as superintendent as outgoing superintendent that's the most important thing for me and it's the scariest thing when you've invested a life in an organization and I was you know, right at my late 20s when I made the move to Albemarle. Okay. Um, and, you know, had brown hair, and I came in as a full-time professional development coordinator, mm -hmm. um, you know, after 10 years in another system. And so, you know, I know these schools. I could walk these schools blindfolded. Mm -hmm. I know teachers across the system. I've hired every principal that's working in Albemarle right now is somebody that's come in on my watch. Right. Um, there are... Uh, you know, amazing work that's happening everywhere in the system. And we are pushing the envelope in ways that are beyond what most school divisions or districts in the nation mm -hmm. are doing. I mean, we've really been a cutting edge space. We still have work to do. Yeah. We have achievement gaps that are unacceptable. We have kids that don't get opportunities that they should get. Turning an organization over, it's not for me turning over an 
organization that is just a place where I've come to work. This is family for me. Right. Yeah. And you, so for me, it's about trust. And, and, and I got to tell yeah. yeah. And so for me, what I'm, I'm so just, it, it allows me to leave and feel good about the next generation of work mm-hmm. here, which will be better than anything I ever did because I trust Matt. Mm-hmm. And I trust Matt with my life, mm-hmm. you know, and that for me is not just about bringing a person into the superintendency who's smart or who values this work. I know he's going to nurture it. He's going to take care of it. He's going to make it better. He will be a better superintendent than I am. And this organization in five years, the family will be in better shape Mm -hmm. because of him coming into this role. Mm -hmm. So I can walk out and say, Albemarle County's going to be in good hands. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's that's it. That's got to be a huge... It's a relief. It's a relief. Because imagine walking out of your family and saying, you know, I'm going to have to turn my family over to somebody else. Right. And Your guys. Yeah, yeah you got to yeah. – that trust is so key. And, you know, I think when you say transition, it's, it's really a handoff. And the thing is, mm-hmm. Pam, and ha- I think she's – I mean, there's probably – we still have more time together. Mm-hmm. But she has done everything she can do to get me as ready as I can be mm-hmm. to do the work. I mean, I did not – you know, when I came here, it wasn't – as like, well, I want to I want to be a superintendent in Albemarle County. I didn't really think that was possible for me because this is really a very complex place to work. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, I, uh, and I mean, I even yeah. see that on my end. Yeah. From, but I know, know over time, you know, probably about maybe, I don't know, it might have been three or four years ago where I started to look at the job and think, you know, if I, if I had the right learning, like if I could really get closer mm-hmm. to it, I probably could do it. And and you you know, of course, start seeing yourself in, yeah. in that mm-hmm. as a possibility. And I think that coincided, of course, with mm-hmm. Pam yeah. starting to reach out even more to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of superintendents that don't have their staff working directly with the school board, mm-hmm. that don't share um, a lot of decisions that they make, mm-hmm. that, aren't, um, very, that aren't necessarily even transparent even with the people that are right there with them. But that's always been Pam's, you know, operational balance is that all of us that work with her we work with the board too. Um, we get to have those experiences that mm-hmm. help us build relationships with the school board and understand how that works. And she's very much a shared decision maker. You know, mm-hmm. um, very rarely does Pam just say, "Well, you know, I, I I'm, I'm just going to make this decision on my own." I mean, that's pretty rare, and it's usually because she knows the enormity of a particular responsibility mm-hmm. and wants to shoulder it but i i'll laugh because you know today we're out of school right yeah so yeah it's been i i don't know matt a couple of years ago i said okay matt it's time for you to be on the, the phone call you get you to make it, you get to be <laughs> and the so you know 5 30 <laughs> yeah. in the morning you know yeah. when we're five o'clock in the morning when we're making that call one of the things that's one of the most critical decisions is there's nothing more important safety's job one yeah period. Yeah. yeah. And so making a decision about whether kids are coming or not coming to school is all about safety. And right. so I can remember, you know, at some point, you know, Matt started joining us on the early morning calls and first he was listening, then he started offering up some perspectives mm-hmm. and like this morning, you know, basically I turned to him and said, "Matt, what do you, what do you think we should do?" And you yeah. know, he had a very clear very purposeful description of why at 6.30, which is highly unusual, that we were going to oh, delay and I then was, close. I was caught by surprise this morning. Yeah, I mean, so. we, uh, we, um, we, you know, there's a big difference when you're sitting there with a list of two or three schools at 5 o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning mm-hmm. versus now having 12 like at, the whole region. Yeah. at 6.30. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, but the thing that, that, that I know is that Matt has, in every way, shape, or form, worked all of the different areas that a superintendent has to be knowledgeable mm-hmm. about. And not only did he go through a process of studying it, you know, he's a real plan, do, study, act kind of guy, right. but he now is the person I can turn to him and say, what, what do you think we should yeah. do here? And he's right on target. Mm-hmm. He can defend it. He could be a superintendent anywhere in the United yeah. States. Yeah. So um, looking at this type of work, uh, one, of, one of the things I was wondering too is like, you know, I mean, you were, you were saying at the beginning, like mm-hmm. you were, kind of on the cutting edge and everybody was like, she's doing all this stuff with tech, right? Um, Like where has this type of work taken you, taken you that you haven't expected it would? 
right? Mm -hmm. You know, because, I mean, coming into education, pretty much everybody starts in the classroom. Well, right? I, I think then, that, that, you know, I'm like every other person that, that started teaching in the 70s or the 80s or 90s, that the complexity of what educators today have to know, understand, and be able to do is significantly different. You know, I, I grew up in and um, lived in the textbook world. In fact, Matt, you said the other day something about that the tools that your dad used and the tools you used. Talk about that a little bit. Well, it's just interesting, you know. this ign just ignition, you know, of yeah. technology. I mean, yeah. um, I was born in 1968, and uh, all the communication tools, any kind of media was, was the same as what my parents would have grown up with mm -hmm. being born in the 1930s. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's only just really in the last, during our my career, I mean, you know, uh, that like when I started teaching there was no email we didn't we had yeah. one copier in the school I remember and, using email when I yeah. first got to JMU and I had never yeah. been online got there and so, you're expected to have an email address yeah. every so, kid had a textbook yeah, everybody had textbooks I was like what <laughs> I mean even even like this morning you know when you, when you make a, a call to close school do you I mean I don't know if you remember but we all used to just listen to the radio right. and try to now you, you know, have the global connect or yeah. whatever program it is so that I does think for, for and you even talked about what it would be like for a teacher to walk in today yeah. you know to school with like the power from the past you mean or with or the power, power yeah, because yeah. They, you know yeah. everybody's got their plans and even if um, even if you weren't planning on using technology per se you you probably were going to run something off when you first got there but mm -hmm. um oh the lion's share of teachers will, will come in to school these days and some aspect of their lesson is going to be hinged on uh using technology uh media yeah. computers even if it's not in the actual moment mm -hmm. of the instruction mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i mean even now we all take attendance on our, yep. on their ipad or on their desktop so you know it's much more complicated now. Communications expected in real time. I think that um, it's teachers have a much more challenging job than I did when I was a teacher. Um, but in other ways, it's become easier to be a facilitator and, mm -hmm. and less of just someone that has to is totally responsible for every aspect of a student's acquisition of knowledge and what they do with it. If, if you're open to change and open to giving up control and giving up responsibility for learning to the students, which right. that is our goal, that's our mission, for mm -hmm. them to own their learning, um, then technology offers vast opportunities for that. Yeah. That essentially you don't need to be the, the knowledge keeper anymore. That right. Students yeah, have access to that. Stand and deliver so, um, and that's it. Yeah. What, so can I back you up just a second? You said teachers have harder now maybe like in what ways would you say that it is harder now I think than, that um, you know when you said you started teaching schools are always taking on more and more I mean we I think everyone recognizes that schools are really really good at being America's kind of problem solver right you know I mean if students are I mean the whole idea that evolved around public education in the 20th century is that uh, schools can be the equalizer that everybody pays their taxes contributes to the public good mm -hmm. and some of that's redistributed around education because by having a quality education for students you're redistributing wealth I mean that's the right. idea yeah yeah and I think that it works it actually does work you know the the research shows that if you have a high school diploma you're gonna be much more successful in life mm -hmm. and that you can get paid more in the work you do you're gonna go on to more education so have a it, more rewarding yeah. career I mean yeah. it really does work and so then you say well we also need a way to make sure kids have good nutrition so we also so we haven't always yeah, yeah schools haven't always had cafeterias to the extent right. that they do now yeah. so they say you're gonna do that when I started I didn't have a school nurse yeah, as a principal, having a I mean, for many of our students, yeah, yeah, school nurses, their primary care. And we have what, yeah. we're up to almost, what, 900 visits to school nurses a day in the county? Yeah. So I think yeah. that, wow. and so for teachers then, what that means is juggling a lot more decision-making processes mm -hmm. for them. Um, they have a lot more, what uh, we used to call administrivia, administrivia. Uh, to handle. Yeah. They're expected to be highly effective communicators uh, verbally and in writing. 
Whereas when I was a teacher, there was no phone in my classroom. There was, I just went in, I literally, when I, but from the time I left school at night, you know, I was a coach and everything. Mm -hmm. But when I left that school, I left school, I left work. Mm -hmm. I might take some papers home to grade, things like that. And the next day I showed up, I was back at work. Mm -hmm. And uh, there might be a pink slip in my mailbox that said call whatever parent, whatever. But for teachers now, the the constant Mm 24-7 attention that they have to, that they are burdened with, I think is very different. And that's the same thing for school level administrators for all of us, but they also are right there every day with all their students, you know. There's no other job like it when you think about it. All of your clients, whether they want to be there or not, are in the room with you. <laughs> right, yeah. You know? Yeah. I had this professor in college. Uh, when I took a public policy class when uh-huh. I was working on my doctorate, and he referred to students as non-voluntary clients. That <laughs> it's the only profession where the teacher's That's there. a very administrative yeah. sort of way of putting it, but it, it works. Yeah, yeah. you think about it, the students don't have a choice to be there, so you, the, the first job of every teacher is to help students feel choice, you know, right. because it's the yeah. first thing that's kind of taken away from Right. Them. Try I to replace some yeah. of that agency. I had to, exactly. Yeah. You know, we've had some partnership work with the New York Hall of Science, and, mm-hmm. you know, as a museum, you know, one of the things that, that uh, one of the uh, um, program directors was saying to me one time that the difference between a museum and a school is that in a museum, you have to capture the attention of the people that come there to learn within the first 30 seconds or they'll walk out of your exhibit, they'll walk out of your museum. Right, he yeah, said, yeah. you guys have the luxury of, you don't have to worry about right. that. But right. the reality is we do, Can because yeah, yeah. we don't want yeah. our kids, you don't want to, well, you know. Well, mentally, that. if they yeah. choose to, they can walk out. I mean, you, you know, know, we have a lot of data that tells us that in terms of our climate surveys that, mm-hmm. you know, we have students say, you know, high school seniors in their surveys, only 32% of high school seniors respond to say that they're they agree that they're very interested in their work yeah. at school. Yeah, and that, that so, was one of the groups that I taught a lot of. And yeah. boy, after after spring break, mm-hmm. that was so that was hard. It's yeah. that's that's a challenge. You know, it's a big responsibility. I think though that as one of our one of our biggest things that that we can work on, and and Pam, I know agrees with this because most of the work that that we've been doing over the the past decade has really been in tune with this, is that we have to accept societal change in our mission. Mm-hmm. That society's yeah. changing. And for I think for too long, we've looked at schools as a, as a place to preserve something. Kind that, of like a glass case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A museum. That, a museum, <laughs> museum even. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing it full yeah. circle. Yeah. There's <laughs> something so, yeah. there, believe me, it, schools are a trans, transmission of culture, mm-hmm. okay? There are, there are many things about our culture that we, we should be preserving, transmitting, passing on to young people. There are qualities, there are... And I think, you know, they're also constructive of it, yeah. too, in, in some ways. I mean, you think about... Yes. Uh, like, I've seen studies where they say that you have more in common with your age group in some situations than you do with, you know, people in either the same town or, mm-hmm. or something like that, because of that shared experience and, and uh-huh. those, those yeah. things and, like that. And you know, the thing that, that I really believe is that passivity in learning is probably uh, the biggest challenge that exists in education. And you know, and How sometimes do you mean I, passivity well, in learning? Well, and I, I'll talk about it through this lens that, um, you know, we, we all grew up in that are the older, the baby boomers and even the, the gen, um, um, Xers, yeah, you know, me. Matt, you're, you're Gen yeah. X, um, grew up in a world where you came to school, you sat in rows, you listened to a teacher, you worked in a textbook, you did your math worksheets, and people who were um, committed to, I'm going go to I'm gonna graduate high school, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to ha- get a good job, mm-hmm. we learned to do the time of compliance well. Right. We were the generation of, you know, of the kids who had high motivation to do well in school, what do I have to do to get an A? Mm-hmm. And we did that. Mm-hmm. You also had kids that dropped out in droves. I mean, until compulsory yeah. education hit in the mm-hmm. 60s, um, you know, we had a, a significant high dropout rate. But you could drop out of high school and go to work in the automotive yeah, industry you could still do okay. and live a pretty middle class yeah. life. You know, in fact, um, one of the things that's pretty interesting is that when schools were first built as factory schools 
there was actually an expectation that most of the kids would not graduate from high school right. and that the people that would graduate would either go to work as kind of accountants and clerks and you know sort of white collar jobs or right. you'd go to or college and become a you know and yeah. so you know there never really was an expectation that everybody would get well educated right. so when we came through school but everybody had an expectation that kids would behave in school mm -hmm. and most kids did when i came through school mm -hmm. even kids that would sit there and could care less and struggle because you know there was no differentiation everybody got the same thing they they pretty much behaved for the right. most part right um you know we um today are living in a world where you know my my version of being a passive learner was to doodle in my notebook today kids doodle on their phones right. you know that's essentially it's yeah. not that different but the reality is as matt said getting a high school education and not just getting a transcript but getting skill sets that will allow you to pursue some things after high school because everybody's going to have to do post-secondary yeah. education means you have to actually be engaged to learn we cannot afford to say well so if the what we have to do to get accredited is a 70 percent math pass rate having 30 percent of our kids or 20 percent or 10 percent not learn the right. skill not sets of mathematical to, thinking right is a such a disservice to kids we can't write that off and people will say well you know the kids need to put in well i think that that one of the things we have to do is we have to really align pedagogies that get us away from the dominant teaching wall mm -hmm. that get kids actively engaged in things and bringing opportunities for kids to really bring their interest into the work and to provide that level of a personal way of kids connecting and learning within a context that makes it make sense right. and I think about you know I, I love to read I'm a real reader mm -hmm. kids today read differently um, they write differently I think the whole piece of watching the kids from um, uh, Douglas High School down in Florida elevate student voice right their sense of agency mm -hmm. their sense of influence to me epitomizes what I would want for every kid going through our schools is does this kid feel like their voice matters? Do they have a real sense of agency in their own learning? And do them do they, they see themselves as it having influence in their community? Yeah. Whether it's school, greater, or even the world or nation. And so one of the things that I think about is that the the kind of teachers that I had, who I would describe as caring teachers, I think most teachers are. Teachers yeah, who I always, love I always default to that too. I mean it, Yeah. It, love, I think if somebody's not coming into this profession from that yeah, angle, I, I don't know I can't imagine that they're But I think for that it. we we trained we have trained ourselves by our own experiences, by the experiences we have in uh, college education programs don't necessarily look any different than what you know, sort of that right. you know, teachers and deaths thing. That we've trained people to teach exactly as they teach. If we want to create a different end in mind, we have got to really invest in figuring out how do we give teachers the time to try different ways of approaching things such as project-based mm -hmm. learning. Right. How do we allow mistakes because if something doesn't work, how do we say that's okay? You're working on the things that are important with your kids, so what do you do to make that better the next time around? But we don't have the luxury of compliance mm -hmm. or passivity if right. we're going to have all of our kids get the competencies they need to be successful in life. Mm -hmm. And that's Matt, you know, Matt's work with High School 2022, oh my gosh, has gone so far past where we started in 2002 with mm -hmm. the uh, lifelong learning competencies, yeah. with Design 2004. Mm -hmm. High School 2022 is going to take the lid off the way we approach curriculum, assessment, and instruction in high school. And I think it's going to be one of the best things that's ever happened for our children. But it is going to really challenge us as educators mm -hmm. to right. make some shifts. Yeah. So, Matt, that's going yeah. to be your generation of work, I think. Yeah. I would say that um, if someone asked me five years from now what would be different, we would, we would go into classrooms and we would see student-directed, student-centered learning experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that doesn't sound sexy. You know, it doesn't right, sound, right. you know, knock your socks off. But... Right now, what we largely have are teacher-centered experiences for mm -hmm. students. And I think that um, if we're really successful with transforming learning for students, then we would see students more engaged, mm -hmm. that 
uh, wouldn't be about the teacher, dominant classroom, mm-hmm. uh, full frontal, I'm up here at the board writing on it, you're, right. you're writing and notes. you're writing down what I'm writing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it would be uh, students coming in and having much more uh, fun that uh, they would get to pick what they're going to do more or less around the standards that are identified uh, and that uh, through, through more student self-assessment and teachers working with students to become better at knowing themselves, knowing what they know, knowing how to approach learning, then we'll see that shift. Uh, and I think that there are a lot of drivers for that that can help us make those changes. Uh, one of them is technology. My vision would be that we would shift that data so that students would tell us all along from third grade all the way through senior year, I'm very interested in my work. Mm-hmm. my work at school uh, that we would have students graduate engaged you know I have a high school senior who's probably about as disengaged as he's ever been really uh, yeah. as opposed to being super engaged in kindergarten and staying that way mm-hmm. and some of that's changes with the student but we do not change school to change developmentally with students and and that needs to change as well and so you think about you know one of the, the sort of pivotal things in my brain that has hit is a few years ago, when one of our high schools was graduating, and the kids came running out of U Hall, and uh, they stopped right in front of the, the educators that had just walked out mm-hmm. in front of them, and said, "What do we do now?" <laughs> and I said, "Anything you want to." Yeah. But it struck me yeah. that we have no investment in transitioning our kids into adulthood. The experience in their senior year is basically the same educational experience as it was in ninth grade. Mm-hmm. The work may be more complex, the courses may be more complex, but it's kind of a, an iteration of yeah, come to class. Yeah, colleges have had to struggle with that too. They've yeah. started building up so, resources. So think about this, I just read in the Cavalier Daily next year that at UVA, they will have a 20 minute break at the time that this game that all the kids are playing, mm-hmm. that's a trivia game, you know I'm what I'm talking about? It's HQ or I think it's I know what you're talking about. That yeah. UVA is going to take a break at 3 p.m. so the kids can play their trivia game. <laughs> now think about that. Yeah. You know, yeah. but but the reality is these kids walk out. Matt Senior is going to walk out into a world where all of a sudden he has to make decisions about: Do I get up on time? Do I get my work done today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I do I skip class? Do I go to class? Do I, you know, go to the party tonight and mm-hmm. put off doing a project? You know, all the decisions about time management that we've done very little to help him make a transition where, just like Matt's making a tra- transition with the superintendency, mm-hmm. our kids should be making a transition with adulthood. That's what high school 2022 hopefully is going to give them an opportunity mm-hmm. because it's better to learn to make some of those mistakes as a 17-year-old than when you're that 19-year-old in college and the fail means you're out of college. Right, yeah. You know, and that happens for, what, about 50% of our kids? Yeah, about 55%. Um, You know, the other part is that if we come back to assessment is that every we don't really offer a lot of opportunities for our students to make mistakes and learn from it because Mm -hmm. everything is high stakes. Everything is something. Right, yeah. Yeah, Part of that issue is is that we have a parent portal right now that we really need to take a hard look at and see is it doing what we intended for it to do that you know we've taken grades do you mean like it's it's establishing this sort of mentality in parents minds where everything is like yeah. that yeah cuz i know when i was when i first started using that i would get emails on one little teeny thing yeah yeah, yeah. so it's almost like it's almost like a scanner box a what? Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like it's a it's an intermittent reinforcer yeah, yeah. you know yeah. so yeah. Pe- people sit around waiting for the grade to get posted, yeah. you know, and so you either get <laughs> yeah. you either get positive yeah. or negative reinforcement, and then you as a teacher either may get that or not. But so it's t- like turned mm-hmm. everything into high stakes. High yep. stakes. If your child doesn't do well in a single quiz, if that's if quizzes take up forty percent of the teacher's grading, mm-hmm. then your student can go from an A to an F, mm-hmm. and then especially if it's early in the in yeah. the grading period. Whereas yeah. in the past, you know, you you kept track of your grades and then you tallied them at the end and you could. You can make everything right. The mm-hmm. Students don't get that opportunity to do so that. So it's kind of like the system has taken yeah. the, the person out of the, uh, yeah. the equation. And it's crushing, mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. tell you. Well, especially for the students that already have a lot of pressure on them to do well. 
um, for the students who nobody's looking at it to begin with. Right. They, yeah. In many ways, they're learning the skills. Yeah. That they've prioritized. Exactly, because yeah. they, they yeah. have to work it out and make it right. So I think that um, Pam is right on the money that we need to offer opportunities for our students to really own their learning, like our mission statement says, make decisions, not be penalized all the time. You know, one of the best things you can do is, is to fail, but not yeah. if you're going to get an F. Yeah, and right. Then you if, have no chance to recover. If the it. failure ends up becoming an endpoint rather than a right. midpoint to something else. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how in life, really, when you think about it, if you don't do well on something, the best assessment is to figure out how yeah. you're going to do it differently next time. I was actually I had just a... listening to an interview with James Franco about mm-hmm. you know his process because he's had a wild career. Oh right? yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. so and he talked about yeah. that exact thing. He's like, I screwed up several times. I had a mentor yeah. many many years ago and. You know, he was one of those people who always had something pithy to say that you would go, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. But he said to me one time, he said, you know, Pam, never let a kid's mistake become a life sentence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and yet grades can almost be that because it can impact a kid's. So obviously your take one and another takeaway is that we've got to do something different with grading and assessment. Mm -hmm. And that's another vision that I have for the school system that, again, it's not flashy, but, uh, and I I don't think that... um, you know the results of something like that are seen right away mm-hmm. but I think everybody's life could be better including teachers if we really took a hard look at the way we do our assessment practices mm-hmm. and develop some student rights mm-hmm. you know there in uh, in Oregon there's actually it's codified that their students have a bill of rights for assessment are you talking about through the like the school the system state. or through the, the state, state like legal codes? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because there was so much concern around you know these high stakes tests. Right. Right now, I think a lot of the rub and a lot of the disengagement that students experience is because they're being denied those rights. Um, yeah. You know, if I'm if I'm a 17 year old and I don't do well with a task at school, shouldn't I have the right to as a, as a young adult figure out how to get it and make it better without right, my make parents it right all of a sudden? Yeah getting involved and everybody making a big deal out of it. I mean, that's one of the pieces that we have a complete communication issue around student results that, that mm-hmm. uh, is blowing everything out of proportion. I also think that, Dara, Darren, that one of the things that goes along with the assessment piece is that um, everybody who's ever been to school has an opinion about school. Right, because they've been there because and they know what there, it's like, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, everybody that is an educator is basing their perspectives oftentimes on anecdotes. One of the things that mm-hmm. Matt oftentimes he'll call me on and he'll call other folks on and he'll say, that's that's a great anecdote. That's one what did Kevin Hughes used to say? That's one datum, datum. point. Yeah. One datum yeah. point. You know, yeah. um, what's the what's the evidence? What's the research? Right. And Matt's a student of assessment. You you follow is it comments that um, Oh I'm, yeah, on your comments. Yeah. Yeah, I just think and, that and you're reading some Stiggins right now. Yeah. That's really informative. I just think that there's it's it's really the last area where we're not we're not solid practitioners. Are you talking about as a as a district or just sort of as a educational as a, as system a educational on system. mass? I think yeah. that um, educators largely are not assessment literate. They mm-hmm. are, they have very little training when they and they're trained by college professors who don't know a thing about it themselves. Right, right. And so they come into a system and what do you do? You are going to either adopt what uh, you liked or what you preferred when you were a student in mm-hmm. school and or they they get in with the teachers that are already there and, and follow whatever procedures they right, have and for, they just for follow the orders. Yeah. So but so there's so many ways. I mean, the bottom line is that we we haven't changed. Schools used to be a factory where if, if, I put, if I stamped you with an F, you get kicked off the assembly line after you get enough Fs on you. Mm-hmm. It, the design was to discourage. If, mm-hmm. you don't, if you're not doing well, you don't belong here, go find something else to do. We don't have that anymore. Our society now says every student succeeds. Mm-hmm. That is the Educational uh, Elementary and Secondary Education Act now. Right. Every student must succeed. Mm-hmm. So if that's the end result, then shouldn't you be encouraging students with the grades? What is the, there, there's no purpose to saying to a student, here's your F because you failed. Mm-hmm. We should be saying, here's your A because you failed, and thank you for trying, and if you try again, you get to keep the A. 
Mm-hmm. There, there's got to be other ways to work this out. So it's out. kind of a succeed at what, why, yeah. and how mm-hmm. is something we have to get back to. But, yep. but I'll, I'll tell you, this is a kind of an interesting anecdote. We could put up. Is this a data point? This is. This is <laughs> we could yeah. put up 25 grades right now right. and say these are quiz grades, these are homework grades, these are summative assessment grades, unit assessment grades for this nine weeks or semester. Mm-hmm. You could say, I'm going to wait on this way. Mm-hmm. Matt could say, I'm going to wait on this way. I could say, I'm going to wait on this way. We could bring Jeff Prillman in the room because Jeff is the data yeah. gate. <laughs> and Jeff could say, based upon what you do, you do, or you do, as a kid, I could get an A, a B, or a C, depending on how mm-hmm. each of you have de- dealt yeah. with the grades differently. Mm-hmm. And so depending on what teacher the child has, right. depending on how you choose to approach everything from not turning an assignment in mm-hmm. and grading it as a zero or not, or to weighting quizzes at 40% versus 5%. Or even just the number of assessments. That's right. That you can end up with a kid getting anywhere from a C to an A, depending upon what each of us have set up differently as the way that we count our grades. And the question you have to ask is, what what message, if we are a learner-centered organization, what message does a kid take away from adults who lack sort of a basic sense of how math works when you're building well, and I think even, an assessment process. I mean, there's that end of it too, but I mean, thinking about how does a kid look at, you know, I feel like I'm performing equally in these three classes, but I'm getting an A, B, or C, mm-hmm. oh, you yeah, know, and that, that even like awareness yeah, of, mm-hmm. you Well, know, it feels very random. Right. Student, Learning feels random. School, a student can have eight classes, eight different teachers with eight different ways mm-hmm. of, I mean, who would want to go actually go to work in that kind of environment? I wouldn't. Right. I have one boss who I know assesses me however it's been over the years, and I'm fine with it. Um, and and But I don't have, like, go from Pam to another boss to another boss to another boss with right. all these different expectations. You don't expectations. have eight different bosses that you got to really, report to. Yeah. yeah. I think it deserves some attention. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's because the decisions yeah. are not necessarily made upon – a cogent, rational system in which I can explain to a kid that I'm counting X differently than teacher Y because this is this is what I this is how I'm making sense of this with you and for what purpose and let me tell you about how this fits within a context of having assessment literacy. But we we tend to just kind of pick some of those decisions pretty randomly. Right. And I know I as a teacher did, you know. Nobody said to me that I had to count homework 50%, 30%, 10%. I just, or at all. Just, or at all. Or at all, yeah. You, you know, just I just pulled it, were, did yeah. what I, you know, and, you know, yeah. maybe I'd compare notes with somebody or not. So, um, you know. we're, we're, we're in the process. You might have, you know, experienced it. But in the fall, we had administrators talk to teachers about how, they, they you know, there's four pieces to the framework for quality learning around assessment. Yeah, so I remember some of this, part. yeah. We collected some data around that. We're getting ready to push out a survey asking about specific uh, grading practices. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to a- embark on some community meetings uh, at the middle schools and inviting in parents and sharing that data. And also we want to talk to them about weighted grades because that's another element to this. Yeah. But um, the outcome of that, what I would like to see is that we, we do develop a set of standard operating procedures for grading. For, for teachers to shift, they need to see where they're headed. And they need to see, how do I have a replacement practice for something I'm doing now that satisfies, it's a satisfier in terms of, I like for example, uh, it rubs people the wrong way when students don't do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it, okay? Right. That's a generic yeah, statement. Sort of a I think we as yeah. adults kind of pretty much whether it's with our kids yeah. at home or at we school, get rubbed the wrong it's way. frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know. my answer to that is uh, you rubbed me the wrong way, you didn't turn in this assignment, you get a zero right now, and then when you turn it in, I'm going to take points away from you or something like mm-hmm. that. That's not an effective assessment practice because it blurs what is the measure, what are you it's measuring? It's not measuring the, exactly. the actual yeah. content that so you're So if, if I've written a paper and the paper was about something we read, and all of a sudden now instead of me getting maybe a B because I did – I answered all your objectives on mm-hmm. the rubric. I'm now getting a C. 
when that goes in the grade book, it doesn't say anything in there about that. That you turned it yeah. in late. And or, then so yeah. pretty soon it's all a big fog. It's stand, they're, you're, the, the error of measurement is, is increased. And yet that's my identity now. It, the mm -hmm. outcome of all that is my identity. So what's the appropriate way to address your concern that you really want the student to learn to turn things in on time? Mm-hmm. Well, there are other ways to do that. One is you could actually have a conversation with the student about life skills and how important it is to turn things in on time. Please turn things in on time. Mm -hmm. I'm begging you. You know? <laughs> and yeah. that kind of reminds me of uh, you guys <laughs> me on Friday afternoons going, okay, who hasn't put who hasn't put in their board item? You know, guys. I know. And so I can't I, give zero. So, yeah. so <laughs> after Dan does that one or two times, and I'm like, you know, geez. I should All do right, this I'm on time. I'm starting to pick up yeah. the message. Yeah, yeah. 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 if I'm texting. Yeah. Isn't that how yeah. you learn and you yeah. say to the student, why didn't you turn that in on mm -hmm. time? Yeah. Well, uh, you're going to have things ranging yeah. from, uh, you know, my parents got in a big fight last night and I just couldn't settle down to do it. Mm -hmm. I had this other priority. I had this or, gee, I forgot. Mm -hmm. And then you say, well, what are you going to mm -hmm. do differently next time? Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to do it on time. No, I mean, what are you going, How to, are you do going to do differently? How are you going to do it yeah. differently? Okay, yeah. so yeah. that's my assessment, isn't it? My conversation with you about why you didn't do what you were supposed to do on time is truly an assessment. And the student then self-assesses and tells me what they're going to do differently, and then I say, let's shake on it. Mm -hmm. Okay? You, someone might say, well, that oh, they're not being penalized. Yeah, well, that's not the goal. The goal is for the student to eventually learn that relationships are important, mm -hmm. working relationships with other people are important, and I should do what, I'm, what I say that I'm going to do. Just because, now, the next assignment, they may be late again. What do you do? You have the conversation again. And at some point, because people learn from errors and learn mm -hmm. from mistakes and learn through relationships, the student will begin to do things on time. It may never happen in your class. It may happen when they're 30 and they think back on when I had, you know, uh, Dr. Moran for my teacher and she talked to me all the time about doing things on right. time. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah. Isn't that really the goal? Yeah. But if, if the kid turns in something <coughs> late and it's good work, it should be graded that way. If it's bad work, that should be graded that way. And again, you keep working on it until it's where you want to get it if you're really interested in learning. Now. So that's the replacement behavior. Right. You need professional development for that, to have an academic conversation with a student because we don't do it, okay? Right. So the, the piece that we've got to be able to do is say, here's what we believe about grading. Here are the, the standard operating procedures for how we're going to do grading. Mm -hmm. Here are the systemic changes we want to make. But also, more importantly for teachers, is if you're doing it this way now, we need to show you another way. Right, go and, through the actual process. And, so right, that and exactly. And work, work with the teachers the way we want them to work with students. You don't put a memo and so, or send someone an email and say, stop giving zeros. Right, well, that doesn't work, right? Yeah, and then later on, say, see that you've given your kids zeros. Now you get your comeuppance for that. Yeah, That's you get exactly. your zero, too. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so yeah. It's, but a yeah. it's cultural yeah. work. It's, it is so ingrained, you know, grades are our breakfast cereal, they are everything to what we do. So we really are gonna have to spend a lot of time on this. Yeah, yeah no, uh, well, and it's also one of those things that people get really impassioned right. about. Right, but the return on investment in terms of student engagement and their readiness to take on life, mm -hmm. and I, I really think teachers could enjoy their work so much more by saying less is more, and mm -hmm. I want to make sure you do this right, and and have and have it turn out the way mm -hmm. that we're all proud of, right. rather than just hit you with another assignment and move on. Yeah. It would be so much more engaging for teachers. And I do believe that teachers really, teachers want they want to be they want their kids to be successful. Absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. you know, we've had way too much teacher bashing in this nation over the last okay, ten yeah. years, and no, and know. you know, portraying teachers as people who you know don't bring it um, and and certainly you know all of us have like everything else we have our anecdotes but the reality is that what what we don't have for this profession is the time that teachers need to make the changes 
and to really, you know, think through their belief systems mm-hmm. and why, you know, I believe this versus that, and then how, if, if this organization believes the end in mind is this, how am I going to get the skill sets and competencies right. in place if I need to, or if I have them, how am I going to help others get to a place where we're able to really realize this vision mm-hmm. and realize this very set of you know, expectations because Matt won't get kids to the competencies of high school 2022 unless we start in pre-K. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So right. pulling that together. So I'm, I'm excited that Matt Hobbs is going to be the next superintendent of Albemarle County Public Schools. I think that I'm he's excited a. That she's excited. He, he's a teacher's. He's a, he's a teacher's teacher. Yeah. You know, I, I really believe that about Matt. Um, that you know, one of the first things he said when he came down to central office to me was he said, "Pam, I haven't been a teacher since the 1990s, since the last century." And he went over to. The last century. That's right. That, yeah. And so in 2010. Yeah. Yeah. He so went over to Monticello High School and taught English oh, yeah. over there for took a class yeah. of, of students. Yeah. And guess what? One of the first challenges he had was, and in that point in time, not every kid had a cell phone, was right. how do I work with kids that have these devices? How do yeah. I make these devices part of the learning, not something that's used to get away from the learning? Right. And you went after that with kids. Oh, yeah. We used, um, there's, a tech, there's a program called Poll Everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah, I've I seen mean, that. Yeah, yeah I've used that we, actually. If we had times. Kahoot, while, I wish that we'd had Kahoot. Oh, I know that one. But gets we used poll everywhere, that. and the kids would love to do. Uh, you know, there we used it for mm-hmm. assessment. Mm-hmm. Of course, they would also like if I lent a student my phone to do it, they would take pictures of me, <laughs> right. which I enjoyed seeing later. <laughs> yeah, kids. The funny thing is, kids, kids, kids don't <laughs> haven't really changed. Right now, you know, when they I was just teaching twenty five years ago. Yeah. They were the same as they are now. I think they've got a lot more pressure on them. Mm-hmm. They they have a lot more um, opportunity cost for doing the work that we think is really important, and we need to do a better job of that. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, they are wired to learn. Mm-hmm. All we do is either facilitate that and give them experiences mm-hmm. that 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 actually connect with that desire, or we we actually through a lot of what we do can shut it down. I. I obviously agree with Pam that teachers don't get up in the morning thinking how can I disengage students they're really trying hard every mm-hmm. day and and they I think that there's so many positive things that happen in our schools that it's not about throwing the baby out and the bathwater it's about doing better with the things that we're doing well stop doing some things but most of it is really good solid stuff that with a different emphasis or a different approach Mm-hmm. can continue to work into the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, great. Um, well, I mean, I know you guys have, yeah. have put in more time than I was expecting, no, was so I appreciate, I mean, I really appreciate the time you gave me, and I know it was kind of tough to get things Thanks, scheduled Sarah. in, so yeah. did we yeah. do okay? Yeah, We did, so. and I'm, yeah. I'm pretty excited that you've, uh, you know, because this is something you're doing because you've got a passion for it. Yeah, passion. yeah. You I, know, and I love it. Awesome. No, that's okay. I know you guys are busy, and I, like I said, I really appreciate I just want to make sure that I am able yeah. to share it out. Yeah, cool. Well, can we get a picture? Because I always put a picture up oh, of yeah. people. Of sure. So I don't know if you want to do a selfie or grab You should have, that your coffee, have your coffee mug there, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> we can so, do whatever works for why you why guys. Why don't we buzz down to Matt's up. office okay. and we can take yeah. a picture of us All down right, there. That works. That'll be perfect. Gosh, Darren, thank you so much for setting this up. This is great. There it is, episode 10. Now, um, I will say that, uh, you know, usually people think about sitting down with a supervisor and having a conversation. Um, they don't generally get a uh, good feeling about it. But, um, you know, when I first came to Albemarle County, you know, it was six years ago now, uh, when, I, when I first came, it didn't take long before Pam knew me by first name. It was, it was really pretty amazing to me. Um, and this is a bigger district than where I had worked before. Uh, in my prior district, it took a while for some of the superintendents to, um, well, well, there were a few who probably didn't even know I was on the payroll. So anyway, I just want to say, you know, that that's, uh, that's the kind of person Pam is. She wants to get to know people and get to know them well. And uh, I wish her the best as she 
looks ahead to the future. And uh, I also want to wish uh, Matt luck as he steps into the role. I know it's a big pair of shoes that he's going to be filling. So um, that's about all I got. Remember to check out the uh, website at theednarrative.com. And uh, we do also have our podcasts up on Stitcher and Google Play and Apple. So you can find us there. And there's the blog on the website as well. So I look forward to uh, having you guys uh, check in. Catch you later. Bye.